Let's talk more about that faith. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew 14 is a story that a lot of us know about. It's a story that's very familiar and it's recorded in several of the synoptics. Synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke. That they put the things together, if you would, and then John kind of capsulizes it all together. In Matthew chapter 14, there's an entire story here that's talking about uh, the events that happen that promote the whole idea of living by faith, having confidence in Christ, as John, Pastor John just said. And in this account, it's very familiar, but Mark is, I'm sorry, Matthew is the only one who records a major portion of this event. Jump with me and let's read through some of this account, and then we're going to come back. And if we're going to learn from the passage, there's... You, you should approach every passage this way, every narrative. Ask a whole bunch of questions. We're going to ask some questions, and then we're going to bring up to our conclusions. Matthew 14, starting with verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus. He said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. Therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John, bound him, put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. For John had said it is not lawful for Herod to have her because he was they were a brother-in-law, sister-in-law. And when he would have put her to death, put John to death, he feared the multitude because they counted John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them, pleased Herod, whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head in a silver platter. And the king was sorry, nevertheless for the oath's sake, and them that sat with him at meat, to basically peer pressure, he commanded commanded it to be given her. And he sent and had John beheaded in the prison. His head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother, and his disciples came, took up his body, buried it, and went and told Jesus. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And when Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude, he was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was later towards evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a desert place and the time is now far past. In other words, we're late in the day. Send the disciples, the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals or food. But Jesus said unto them, they need not depart, you give them to eat. And they said unto him, we have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them hither to me. He commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and two fishes. And looking up to heaven, he blessed, break it, and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat, and they were all filled. They took up the fragments that remained. They had 12 baskets full, and they that had eaten were about 5,000 men. Then there was also the women and the children. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship, to go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But right away Jesus spake and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. And Peter said, answered him and said, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come to you in the water. He said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind was boisterous, he became afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hands and caught him and said, 
O thou of little faith, wherefore did you start to doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, you are the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him that he was there, they sent out into all the country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and begged him, besought him, that they might only touch the hem of his garment. As many as touched were made perfectly whole. Now God has designed this passage to be written to teach us lessons. But when he first put it down, he wanted specific lessons given to the people that, that they were addressing. Matthew was writing to the Jews. What lessons are there for that original audience. What did he describe in this passage and why did he put it there the way that he did so that the Jews who were reading this text would have their, as Pastor John said, aha moment and now all of a sudden come to realize more about Jesus Christ. To walk through and get it all, let's ask some questions. What's going on at the time that Jesus Christ has that experience with the disciples where he's going to walk on the water, have Peter walk on the water and then overcome the the storm that's going on now? In the story, I think there's tremendous contrast put forth. It starts off talking about a king. The king is named at the beginning of the passage. Herod. Okay. Is Herod a real Jew? No. He's a false Jew. But what is he claiming? What's his title? Literally king of the Jews. Okay. He's not a real Jew. He's an Edomite. But he's married into the Jewish family and claiming that he is their king. Okay, so remember, Matthew's writing to the Jews, and I think what's happening in part of this passage, he's making a contrast. You describe Herod. From what, you, what we read there, how would you describe Herod as a personality? Weak? Crazy? Power hungry? What's that? Vindictive? Okay. Can we throw a couple other words? All of that is absolutely correct. Is he lewd? Okay, okay, and he's, I mean... I'm going to be blunt here. He's stimulated by his stepdaughter, okay, um, to the point that he, in order to satisfy her and the crowds around him, he will even go so far as to do what? Kill somebody. You're pretty lewd. You're pretty base, okay? And who's he concerned about? Himself, okay. Who does he, who does he minister to? Nobody. Okay, he's a party hound. It's all about... Okay, that's Herod. Okay, by contrast... Okay, and he's the king of the Jews. By contrast, Jesus has yet to declare himself king of the Jews. Does Jesus in this passage show, by anything that he does, does he show concern for people? Okay, take, take before we get to the sea, the storm, what does he do to show real concern for the people? He feeds them. He feeds them, Right? Okay, he's teaching them, he's feeding them, and even when the disciples say, send them away, Jesus says, no, 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 I'm going to take care of them. So what is Jesus as far as an individual towards the crowd? Give me a descriptive term. Benevolent, compassionate, okay? If you were in that crowd and you had to vote, who's going to be your king? Which one would you vote for? Why? He cares. He cares, okay? So Jesus, and remember now, the Jew, Matthew's writing to the Jews. He's trying to convince the Jews to do what with Christ? Accept him. Believe that he is the 
Messiah, the king. And so he's making a contrast in this passage between the politically elected appointed king and God's appointed king. I think he's done a good job giving us a contrast in character. Yes, no? You know, that here we've got somebody who is outstanding. And so that's your setting of the story. You have Jesus being portrayed as a caring, benevolent individual. That Jesus is concerned about the crowds. By the way, what are political leaders called in Romans 13? There's a term that's used that we use for clergy. That in Romans 13 it says political leaders are this. It begins with an M. It starts with men and it ends with stirs. Ministers, okay. Ministers means that they are what? Servants, okay. And so God has said that even political leaders are to serve the people, okay. Herod's not doing it. Herod's not doing it. Jesus is. And so you have that, that, that account that Jesus is serving them. And, and yet, look at what happens after he feeds the people in verse 21. This starts happening in this passage real quickly. There's a word straightway, straightway, immediately, right away. What happens right after he feeds the crowd? What does it say? Immediately Jesus does something. He sends his disciples. Now look at the wording. It's not that he just sends them away. What do you have for words that give the impression that this is emphatic? Do you have any other any descriptive words? He constrained. Anybody have a different translation for that word? What's that? Strongly urged. Urged. Okay. So the idea is that something happened. You and I are reading this. Something happened at this moment that prompted Jesus to say, you disciples, let's put it in common modern terms, get out of here. Get out of here when? Now. You've got to go. You've got to go. What is it that happened? Okay. We don't know in this text. What did you say it is? Okay. Um, uh, let's back up. Okay. Let's back up. You, you reminded me of something. Okay. Jesus had left into the wilderness... Because Herod's wickedness, okay, had taken John's life. Jesus heads into the wilderness where the crowds come and he feeds the crowds. Okay? Why did he head into the wilderness? I should have prefaced this already. Why did he head into the wilderness? John's just been killed. Okay? Okay, so what would you do if you were Jesus? What might, might you be feeling? Okay, you're sad. Okay. Jesus wouldn't be vengeful. Okay, uh, not you, but what would Jesus be feeling? Okay, okay. Why did you say he's next? Okay, now wait a minute. Let's remember. Was Jesus and John ever ministering in Herod's territory together? John chapter 3. They were both baptizing near to Salem. They had already both, in fact, while, while they were down there, what happens to the crowds that were following John the Baptist? They went and went to Jesus. John is arrested. Okay? John is killed. What might Herod be thinking? Okay, by, by the way, this Jesus is a threat. In fact, what does the passage open up and say? This is John the Baptist again. And if I killed him once, I need to... Okay, that's a possibility. So Jesus is leaving because he's, he knows there's a threat. He also is grieving. This is his cousin. This is his forerunner. And it says he's departing. Now Mark adds some other detail. Mark chapter 6 says they were busy coming and going. And Jesus said to his disciples, we need to go into the wilderness.
us to rest. Okay, so he's wore out physically. He's wore out emotionally. He goes into the wilderness. And even though he's wore out, and again, I should have prefaced things a little bit different here. He is ministering to people, though he's wore out, unlike Herod. And so he's there, he's ministering, and soon as something happens, after he's fed the people, something happens after he feeds them that he says, disciples, get out of here. you got to leave. Something happened. Do you remember what it is? It's the people. John chapter 6 tells us what the people want to do. The people want to do something with Jesus, and they start. They all start this rally. They start this, you know, um, what do you call them? Um, You know, not a riot, but a a, a protest. What do the people want to do with Jesus? They want to make him king. This is the context. Between those two verses, you may want to write in here, John 26, they want to make him king. They want to make Jesus king. And so Jesus gets the disciples and say, you've got to go. Why would he tell the disciples, get out of here when the crowds are so excited about him? Doesn't he want the crowds to accept him as king? Hmm. It's not time. It's not time. So why does he say to the disciples, you guys got to get out of here? Why does Jesus send them away? What do you know about the disciples? Are, there, are they, they got this all down pat. They know God's schedule. They understand everything Jesus is teaching. They, they never get on a bandwagon. They're never impetuous. Okay. They're never fickle. Okay, you're all you're giggling. Why? Do do the disciples ever get caught up with the kingdom idea? Do they ever get excited and say, "Yes, let's have the kingdom"? In fact, when Jesus has preached about, "I'm going to bring a kingdom," what does their mom do with two of the disciples? She wants them to be on the right hand, and the left side. When Jesus is going to Jerusalem, broken-hearted, and he's talking about he's dying, and then he'll bring in his kingdom. What do they hear? Bring in the kingdom. Which one of us will be the greatest in the kingdom? And so they're all focused about the kingdom. And if the crowds start getting excited and holding a political rally, what does Jesus know the disciples will probably do? They'll probably join in and they'll write the banners. They'll probably rent the megaphone and they'll lead the charge. So he in his wisdom says to the disciples, get out of here, I'll deal with the crowds. And so he sends the disciples away, unknowing that they're going to be in a storm. Did I just preach heresy? Okay. Okay. They, he knows they're going to be in a storm, but what does he do? He sends them anyway. And so he sends them into a storm, and while they go into the storm, he goes where? He goes up into a mountain to pray. Okay, he's up in the mountain. By the way, what do we know about the storm? Bad? Normal? Is it like, you know, predicted 12 inches of snow and they only got three? Okay, is that the storm? How how do you know the storm's bad? Okay, I, I hear a lot of different comments. Okay, what does the passage say? Look at your wording in it. Verse 24, what words do you have that say the storm's bad? The chip is tossed, like your salads. Okay? What else do you got? 
Wind is contrary. What else do you got? Okay, let's go to verse 25. What time is it? Okay, no, when did Jesus send the disciples away? Hmm, what, what time did he send what, what time did he feed them? Late in the day. Okay? It's getting, by the way, so that means it's getting probably with crowds outside, it's getting towards dark. It's getting towards dark. Sunset. Okay. So he's sending them away. Let's put sunset, yeah, six, seven o'clock. Let's do that for a time. Fourth watch. Remember, he's writing Jews. So what time is the fourth watch for the Jews? Anywhere from 4 to 6 a.m. How long have they been in this boat? Quite a few hours. 10, 12 hours. Okay. They're in the boat. Um, we were out of the area yesterday. We took the grandkids because just to keep them because Tony and Tina are gone, so we have the grandkids. So we said we're going to go and uh, visit some relatives out of state for just the day and spend some time. Do you know what word we, what phrase we heard constantly in the two and a half hours? I've, I've, I forgot this happens. Okay. What did we hear constantly? Yeah, except for he modifies it. He modifies it. How much longer yet? How much longer yet? How much longer yet? And then at one time he said, I asked two minutes ago, can I ask again? <laughs> no, you can't ask for a while. May I ask you a question? What's the question? It's been five minutes. Can I ask how much longer? It's like, do you want to ride or should I put you out on the turnpike? You know, one of the two. Okay. So you're nine, ten hours in a boat. How does your backside feel? Okay. You're in a boat. It's bigger than this one. Okay. But it feels like one with holes like this. Okay. Um, describe your physical condition 10 hours in a boat in a storm. Sick? Worn out. Remember, this is what time of the day? This is all night long. Okay. Can I add to this? John chapter 6 tells you how far they've gone. It says 25 to 30 furlongs in the English. That is about two miles. That they've rode in 10 hours. Okay, two miles. Okay, two miles. And these are what for professions? Okay, so what does that tell you about the storm? Oh, oh, let me add something. When they would travel around the Sea of Galilee, they would skirt the hug the shoreline. In John 6, it says they were towards the middle of the sea, which means they had lost control. The storm is moving them about. And so they're being tossed about. They've been there. Um, so you're with your buddies in a boat. You are probably dry and comfortable. You are probably feeling... Uh, what's your stomach doing about now? Okay. Let me, let me rephrase this. How do you feel about the others in the boat? They're what? They're bothering you? Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, well, I mean, it never happens to you, but you know, our kids used to argue over whose air they're breathing in the car and who gets to look out the window. Can you imagine feeling sick? You are frustrated. You are angry. You are wondering, where's the master? He told you to go to the other side. Didn't he know that this was happening? What's going on here? 
Okay, that he's doing something like this. And, and then we got to be stuck. And if you're like, like Matthew, what's Matthew's job? Tax collector. So who does he think should know what they're doing? Peter, James, John. I'm sure Matthew is saying, I have full confidence in you guys that you will get us taken care of. Okay. You, you think they're speaking this way? No. Now, you can imagine that it's, it's kind of crazy in the boat. You can imagine it's really bad. They haven't gotten very far. Oh, and by the way, let's add this little tidbit. When they do see Jesus coming, they think it is what? They think it's a spirit. Phantom is the word that's in the original. Understand Jewish culture, if, you, if some of you remember this from before. But in Jewish culture, what did the Jews say that they would see? shortly before they died. They would see spirits coming to accompany them to the afterlife. Okay, so when they say, we think it's a spirit coming across the waters, they don't think and say, oh, it's Jesus coming to us. They don't expect him. And if you saw something walking across the waters, you would think it is supernatural. It's time to die. Okay, that's how bad this storm is. The storm has them thinking they're not, they're not going to make it. This is a bad storm. And you're going to die. And then you're going to die with these dudes next to you. Okay? And you're going along and there's frustration, there's sickness, and the storm is bad. And in the meantime, you don't know where he's at. He's, he's, he's vacated. But does Jesus know what's going on in the boat? Does he know what's going on to the disciples? By the way, he has to know because he walks their direction. Yes? Okay, this is a big sea. He didn't lose them on the sea. And by the way, if the waves are up and down and up and down, could you lose a boat in the downdraft? Okay, so he knows where they're at. But what's he doing over here? What's he doing all night? What does that teach you? What does that teach you about Jesus? Okay, let's, let's take his prayer life. What does that teach you about Jesus in prayer? Was prayer a priority to Jesus? Even when somebody needed him? Yep, okay. In fact, I need to pray so that I can help them to the better of my abilities. Because remember, he is not doing miracles in and of his own direction. He is always being led by the Spirit. And so what does it teach you about the importance of prayer? What does it teach you about the patience of Jesus? Why did he send them in the storm? Well, we know already one reason. He sent them so as to keep them out of, out of some trouble. Okay? Is there any other reason that he puts people in a storm? Okay. Is he going to use the storm? We know the end of the story, so let's jump to the end. Is he going to use the storm? He's going to move in their hearts. He's going to teach them. It's going to be an aha moment for them. And so he's putting them there, but he's got them in the storm, and he doesn't come to them right away. He lets them brew in this thing for 10 hours. Why? 
Why does God allow people to go through critical life and death situations and doesn't rescue them right away? What does God have to bring us to? When, when do we finally learn faith? When we come to the end of ourselves, right? Does he have to bring them to the end of themselves? Okay, so they're in this moment. He's waiting, and all of a sudden, Jesus, it's time. He's walking on the water towards them. I think Mark has the most fantastic statement about this story that just, it blows my socks off. Okay, it's in Mark chapter 6, and you've got to read it. I mean, it is just, it's humorous. In fact, everything that happens at this moment is kind of funny, but it's, look at Mark chapter 6, verse 48. When he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them, and about the fourth watch of the night he comes to them walking upon the sea. And then Mark adds, chapter 6, verse 48. The last phrase, he would have, he would have passed by them. He would have passed by them. In other words, he's walking faster than 12, 11 men or 12 men are rowing. He can outpace them in a storm. And he isn't even in a boat. He's walking. How that works, I don't know. Okay. Is he going up with the wave? Does he walk down with the wave? Does he walk across the top and just kind of do, you know, this big step? We don't know. We don't have any clue. I mean, just picture the situation. Put yourself in the boat. You think you're going to die. You see this spirit, and the spirit goes, Hi, guys, and keeps on walking. <laughs> what would you do? No, what is, he doesn't say, Hi, guys. The two phrases he says to him, go back to Matthew, the two phrases are phenomenal. He's walking past 12 guys rowing, and he's, he's passing them up, and he says two things Be happy. Be happy. That's a command. Be happy. And you're going, as you lean over the boat, okay. all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, be thrilled. Be excited. And don't be right. Right. Now, in between those two commands, there's, a, there's the operative phrase. It's I. It's I. I'm the source. I'm the source. Because the boat isn't making you happy. You wanted to be on a cruise. Ha ha. Okay. This is what's happening. And so he says, it's me. And he's taking and, you know, it has an effect. It calms him down. It calms him down so much so that the next person who opens his mouth is naturally. Yeah. And Peter says, let me come to you. Question. Why does Peter want to be with Jesus? Because the others are throwing Peter out. Okay? He doesn't want to be with them anymore. Um, he is sick and tired of the crew. He thinks it is safer to be with Jesus than with those other guys. Um, okay. We always, always, always pick on Peter in this story because Peter does what? He sinks. He sinks. Before we, before we throw the stones at Peter, let's pause. Peter got out of the boat. 
Peter got out. How many others got out? None. Peter got out. I don't know how he did it. Me, I, I, I try to picture because I'm silly, idiot, things like that. But I always picture, try to picture the scene, how it worked out. I'm klutzy getting in and out of things that are moving. Okay? I'm one of those who will climb, you know, a ladder stuck on top of a chair, on top of the table, and do these unsafe things. You know, and then fall and get hurt, and then it's Deb's fault. Um, you know, so I do the, I can't imagine trying to get out of a boat that's going like this. Okay? And he's, and then he gets out, and he walks towards Jesus. Now, I understand he loses faith, but let's give him credit. Okay? He, he attempted it. So he's getting out, and he's moving towards Jesus. And what happens? The, he makes it very clear. It makes it very clear. He's not walking on soft carpet. What is it, what's the t- story want you to see? I want you to know. What's happening as Peter's walking on the water? Everything is still going on, right? What does it say? The winds are boisterous. Is this the part? The winds are boisterous? In other words, Peter's, this isn't easy for Peter. Things are still tough. The storm is still going on. And Peter immediately looks at... Well, actually, he hears that storm's boisterous. Soon as the, his, his uh, senses come back to you know, what he would say, here's the physical reality and not the spiritual reality, all of a sudden he, okay, he fears, starts sinking. And he cries to Jesus. We know this part. Jesus reaches out. Jesus gets him back in the boat. Oh, by the way, what about the storm? It's still going on. Keep, make note of it. The storm is still going on until, when's it stop? When they get back in the boat. Wait a minute. If I were Peter sinking, I would want the storm to stop right now. It'd be easier to get back in the boat. Okay? It's still life-threatening. Why does Jesus wait until everything, they're back in the boat? How come he doesn't rescue the way we think he should rescue? How come he does all this? Why does he work this way? Why does he delay in stopping the storm? He could have stopped it and caught up to him and crawled in the boat and they would have gone on their way. Why did he let them go through this whole episode? Why did he let Peter have this attempt at faith? And then Peter all of a sudden, you know, start doing what we do. Having moments where, I don't think I can do this. It's more than I can bear. This is worse than what I thought. It hasn't gotten any better. Why does that all happen? Is Is he teaching? Okay. Is he letting him go through the whole experience so that he remembers? So all of that is taking place, and then there's peace. As soon as everything comes, what do the 12 do? What do they say about Jesus? Hmm. All of a sudden they say, of a truth. What's that say? What's that mean? We are convinced. Well, didn't you think this before? Didn't you think he was great before? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Time out, time out. Didn't you think God would answer your prayers before? 
And all of a sudden you get an answer and you run up to somebody and say, Alice, you wouldn't believe it. Do you want to hear what God just did? Is it like, didn't you think he could do that before? But you have those moments that it really becomes personal. And it becomes real. And it's like, whoa, he did this for... Okay, And so they have that, and they say, of a truth, we know you're the Son of God. That is critical to what happens within the next 12 hours. If you don't remember the rest of the story. Now they keep on sailing, and they land at where? I hadn't caught this before. Where do they land? It gives you a town. They land at the shores of Gennesaret. Okay, that's on this side of the sea... According to the Mark, the last time they were at Gennesaret, where they landed just weeks before this, when they landed, somebody met them. Mark chapter 5, I preached this on Wednesday night about three weeks ago. The maniac of Gadara met him. And when Jesus got rid of the legion of the devils, and they went where? Into the pigs, and the pigs did their kamikaze thing. Okay. Pigs went over the edge of the cliff. What did the townspeople do with Jesus? Get out of here. Get out of here. You got to leave. What did the townspeople do this time, months later? He comes back, and what did the townspeople bring to him? All the sick. Last time he was rejected. This time he's received. Last time he couldn't do a work of real grace. This time he does phenomenal works. To people that had rejected him. Compassion. 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 Not vindictive. Compassion. Okay. Herod. Vindictive. Because you pointed out my sin. He kills John. Jesus. You rejected me personally months ago. I still minister to you. So what happens is they get there. And they do the work. They do some ministering. And then that's the end of the chapter. Okay, And you come to the conclusion. But the crowds, according to John 6, the crowds follow him. They show up the next morning. And the crowds go to Jesus and they say, How'd you get over here? You went up to the mountain. We saw you go to the mountain. We saw you just, how'd you get over here? And Jesus gives them a message. It's the bread of life message where they're saying, you know, he's saying, you followed me because I gave you the night before, what did he give him? He gave him food. He gave him physical stuff. You, I gave you physical stuff, and you're excited. And he turns the tables and says, are you as excited about me when I talk about, not the physical, but the spiritual and how you need to be dedicated to me, willing to give your life for me, to die to yourself, etc., etc., etc. John chapter 6, the end of the chapter, phenomenal passage. Tremendous message. Then it ends up, what do the crowds do? This is, a, this is a key moment in his ministry. Many of his disciples believed no more. And they left. Okay, the people who are following, the broad term. And Jesus turns to Peter, James, John, Matthew, James, Thaddeus, and he says, Will... Will you go also? This is a turning moment. This is a pivotal moment in ministry. This is critical. And they have to make a decision.
The decision is, do we follow Jesus, who is no longer popular? John's just been killed. Chances are, they will be. And they have to make this pivotal decision. What probably cinched their decision? Truly, you are the Son of God. That night before. That experience in the boat. So that they say, to whom else shall we go? Who else has the truth? What does the story teach you about Jesus? Bring it together. Tell me what it teaches you about your Savior. He's amazing. He's amazing. Four statements of amazing. Okay? He's amazing. On the backside. He's amazing because he always knows what is best. He always knows what's best. He knows what, when to get us out of trouble. He knows when to put us into trial. He knows what we need for a teachable moment. What will be our best aha moments. He knows us so well. He knows what we need. He always knows what's best. He knows when to be patient with us. When to move to minister in our hearts. Number two. He's amazing because he can do... Okay, we sing the chorus. God can do... Anything, you know, nothing is impossible when you put your... Okay, he's amazing. He'd do anything. There's, the, 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 the story is replete with miracles. Feeding, walking on water, having Peter walk on water, calming the storm, casting out more, more sickness and illness. There it is. If you're a Jew reading this for the first time, what does that have to say to you? Yeah, this is Messiah. This is it. Not, not the political leaders. This is the guy. I'm going I'm to jump down for a moment and do the, the last one. He's amazing in that he is always blank to his disciples. I'm thinking of Peter starting to sink down. I'm thinking of them being in trouble, thinking they're going to die, and he comes to them. I'm thinking how he assists them. He, is, he, he never gives up on them. He's working in their hearts. God is faithful. He is faithful. He is always faithful the way he works in our hearts and our lives and what he allows us. Then your fourth statement, third in order. He's amazing in in that he can enable blank to do more than on our... Okay. He's amazing in that he can enable any of us to do more than we can do on our on our own okay Peter doesn't have the ability to walk on water but with Jesus he can do the impossible am I saying that God is still wanting us to perform miracles that's not his norm today but he still wants us to operate by what faith 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 in critical moments in in strong moments in weak moments And you and I should pause and say, wait a minute. Let's do a Peter moment. Peter stepped out of that boat in faith. That's what kept him going. He stepped out of faith. Now, we know that he struggled with it. But he stepped out of the boat in faith. He risked. He did the unusual. Nobody else was going with him. We don't think they pushed him out. We have the idea that he stepped out. Okay. If you were there, would you have stepped out? Oh, yeah, I would have gladly done it. Yeah, we can say that. Okay. 
But what boat are you and I in right now? And what step of faith can we make? Missions? Tract giving? Witnessing? Sacrificial Sunday? Encouraging our kids to consider missions? Full-time service? Forgiving somebody who, we don't know how that's going to turn out, but we're supposed to forgive. Taking a stand for Christ at school, we don't know how that's going to turn out. But that's a step of faith. What will you do this week, this month, to step out in faith and to keep following the Lord?